Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or the few Bibles in front of you, if, if, if you have them, uh, to Luke chapter 21. That's page 880 of the Pew Bibles. And our sermon this morning is going to be focused on verses 29 through 38. But you'll remember if you were here last week that uh, what we're doing is diving right into this long discussion that Jesus is giving about the fall of Jerusalem and then the end times as well. And so we're taking this in two parts. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire discourse of Jesus, starting in verse 5. So I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. 
As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, open our hearts. Speak to us so that we may know the signs and seasons, but even more than that, Lord, be able to live obedient lives for you in the midst of them. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you may remember taking the SAT or the ACT. Um, Some of you are saying, no, I don't remember that. And others are preparing maybe to take those sorts of tests. Or maybe you remember some sort, some form of a college aptitude test. You know, that's what the SAT and ACT are about. They are tests that really are designed to, right before you might go to college, say, how ready are you for this? How ready are you to go to college? Well, you could say that in this whole discussion that we just heard read from verse five all the way um, to verse 38, Jesus is giving us not a scholastic aptitude test, not an SAT, but we could say he's giving us an end times test, an EAT, and and a test to, to basically say, how ready are you for me to return? How ready are you to endure the end times until I return? There's no score. It's only a pass-fail, really, by the time we get to the end of this, this discussion. And really, Jesus is trying to, to ask us, to jolt us with this question. Are you ready for me to return? Remember what we learned last week uh, from verses 5 through 28. That's what we discussed last week, 5 through 28. And what we discussed was that Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end of the world as they know it. The end of the world as they know it and the end of the world as we know it. Because he told them, Jerusalem, the city in which we walk, the city in which God's temple stands, beautiful and prominent, it is going to be destroyed. Of course, that happened in 70 AD and Jesus gives specific signs that that is going to happen. Specific signs that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But then remember what Jesus did. 
He pointed beyond that destruction of Jesus, of, of, um, of Jerusalem to something that, that, that falling of the city pointed forward to. The destruction of the whole world. Um, this is very important from what we learned last week because you're reading in this passage and you might say, well, hang on, Jesus, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD? Or are you talking about the end of the world when you come again? And what, what we saw is that Jesus is talking about both at the, somewhat at the same time. He has his eyes locked on that fall of Jerusalem, trying to prepare disciples for what's about to happen so that they're not surprised or shocked when it happens within 40 years of him speaking these things. But at the very same time, he's trying to show us that the fall of Jerusalem is not just some history lesson that, you know, for the classrooms, um, not just something to be tucked away in history books. It is something to be remembered because it is like a dress rehearsal for what is going to come at the end, the judgment. So that when, when anyone would walk by Jerusalem, you can go there today and see the big stones lying one on top of the other. And um, not the temple, but a, but a mosque seated on top of, uh, of, of where it would be. We're supposed to say, huh, this has something to say about the judgment that is coming on the last day. Why is Jesus telling us all this? What's his point? You know, this is Wednesday of Passion Week. On Thursday, he's going to be betrayed. On Friday, he's going to be crucified. So why does Jesus take this this moment to talk about these things? I think what we have to realize is that Jesus is telling us all this. He's telling his disciples this because he wants us to be ready, ready for his coming, ready for the end times. He gets us ready by telling us two things. First of all, he gives us a parable. And second, he gives us a posture, a parable and then a posture. I told you months ago that we had perhaps heard the last of Jesus's parables and in any way we, we had, but he snuck a little one in right here. And we see it right here in verse 29 about the fig tree. You know, it's spring in Jerusalem. Um, at this time, the trees would just start to be budding and Jesus probably walked up and, and, and could, you know, when he's talking about the fig tree, could point to a tree right in front of him with the little buds appearing. What does it mean, friends, when you look and see trees that were bare start to uh, burst forth with leaves? There's green buds appearing on the trees. What does it mean? It means that summer's on its way, right? There's only one sure thing that that could ever mean. It means that these are signs that the heat of summer is about to wash over us. Um, today we saw a sign of a season, snow. I mean, wow. Look outside when I'm teaching Sunday school and there's snow coming down. Um, some of you are happy about that. Some of you aren't very happy. But one thing is for sure, it means winter. It's right around the corner. It's here. It's almost here, right on the cusp of arriving. You see, Jesus is making a very plain point 
um, with rich implications. But he, he has a very plain point here in this passage, and he, and he lays it out for us here in verse 29, verse 30. As soon as the fig tree or any tree comes out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. Okay, basic point, right? But think about what this analogy means as we're trying to be ready for the end times, ready for the coming of Jesus. Means this, that when we see the signs of the times that Jesus talked about throughout this passage, just as surely as we see leaves budding on the trees or snowflakes falling in November, And expect the next season to arrive. So surely when we see those signs of the times, we know that the end is near and Christ is coming. Um, You could see what that would would be like for the disciples who were waiting on the next big thing, the, the fall of Jerusalem, right? What were some of the signs that were like leaves budding off the trees? Well, wars, insurrections, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, false teachers, persecution. They start experiencing these things and they say, what is going on? What is happening to me? What's going on with this world? And Jesus says, it's as simple as this. These things you're experiencing are like the early signs of a coming season of judgment. It's the same thing for us today, friends. Um, That happened leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. And guess what? Then the fall of Jerusalem becomes a sign for us. One of the earliest buds that the end is upon us, right? Um, And it's it's a long season leading up to the end, as we've come to realize now, 2,000 years later. But what happens when we see Jerusalem fallen and trampled by Gentiles? What happens when we see famines and persecutions and wars? What happens when we see um, COVID-19 and say, what, what is going on here? All of this, Jesus says, is like the early buds of leaves burst, bursting forth, saying, a new season is upon you. And this is the season of judgment. Um, the end of the world, as we know it, is increasingly building up and is going to hit us right in the face if you aren't prepared. Now, there's two statements that Jesus gives here. There's two things he says that just cement in our minds that this is certainly going to happen. It's coming. You can't escape it. Just like you can't stop the trees. I mean, imagine if you tried to stop the trees from budding or you tried to stop snow from falling. You can't do it. Jesus is as certainly even more certain than the snow falls and more certain than the trees bud. You ought to know that the end is near and that I'm coming. Verse 32. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things. You could say, you know, in in this passage, you could you could translate all these things have taken place. Now, what I've just read for you is, is one of the most difficult passages to interpret in the um, in the book of Luke. Or some folks, you know, would say well, it's not that difficult. But there are 
Entire PhD dissertations written on this one verse, people pouring over this. What, what's going on? And you ask some folks and they'll say, um, well, this is just a clear instance that Jesus just did not know what he's talking about. He was wrong. And here's why they, they'd say that, you know, leading up to that statement, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, you can be certain about this one thing. This generation is not going to pass away until all these things have taken place. Well, what are all these things? You look back and Jesus has been talking about a lot, right? And he's been talking about the fall of Jerusalem, but he's also said things that can only be understood as the the cosmic end of the world, right? In verses um, 25 through 28, he talks about signs in the heavens, Distress of all the nations, people fainting with fear, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. And so some people say, okay, here's exhibit A of where Jesus does not know what he's talking about. He said that all these things, including him coming on the clouds with glory, is going to happen before this generation passes, before 40 years is up. Well, guess what? He hasn't come yet, and that probably means he's not going to come again. And we know that's wrong. You know, that is, that is not what we believe and the hope we have in our Savior. Um, and thankfully, there are many other ways to work through this passage. Um, but let me just mention one other completely wrong way to interpret this passage. So Jesus isn't wrong. He isn't a liar. But others have said, well, it's as simple as this. Jesus said he was going to come again on the clouds in power and glory within 40 years. That generation wasn't going to pass away. Well, that must have happened. Jesus has already come at the fall of Jerusalem when it was destroyed. And so that position, which, you know, the church throughout the history of the church has called a heresy. They've said that is denying a central tenet of the faith that we profess in the Nicene Creed. Jesus is going to come again. He hasn't already come yet. He's going to come again. And so we believe those two views are wrong. I won't bore you with all the, you know, the different ways that you could interpret this passage in between those, those wrong views. But let me just tell you what I think is the most simple way to interpret this passage. Not just the most simple, but, but that accounts for everything going on here. I think that Jesus is earnestly saying to the audience right in front of him, you know, generation A, you know, he's saying to them, within 40 years, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, just like I said. And guess what? That fall of that great city isn't some lesson for the history books. It's actually a picture of the coming judgment. And so when you see Jerusalem falling, you've seen in, you know, in miniature, you've seen a sneak preview of everything that's going to take place in the history of the world. So I think that Jesus is really just answering the question here that's been posed to him. You know, when is this going to take place, Jesus? How, how do we know? And he says, guess what? It's going to take place within these 40 years. But by the way, what you're seeing is actually going to reach down the, hitch, the, the corridors of time. And it's going, it's going to, to wake you up to something even greater that's going to happen. Um, a, a greater destruction. The actual coming of the the son of man, not just upon Jerusalem in vengeance and judgment for rejecting him, but upon the entire world because they didn't listen to the savior. 
What is Jesus saying? He's saying this. When the signs appear, the end is near. Generation, generation A, when you see the signs, when you see armies gather around Jerusalem, you can be sure it's going to be destroyed. What about our generation? It's the same thing. When we see the signs, when we're disturbed by the tumult around us, when we're disturbed by uh, political chaos and, and when, and when peop, you know, we, we see great pestilences that kill people, we are supposed to say, we're supposed to care about those things, but we're also supposed to say, when the signs appear, the end is near. Get ready. Well, Jesus gives us another wake-up call saying you, how certain we can be that this is going to happen. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You know, that's an incredible statement for Jesus to make about his own words. You know, what did, we, what did I read from Isaiah 51 after our second scripture reading? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And here Jesus is saying, my words abide forever. This is an incredible claim of Jesus. But what, but what you need to say, see is again, the certainty of the things that Jesus is speaking. What is he saying? Even more sure than the trees are going to bud, even more sure than the snow falls. So surely will the signs of the end point to my coming and the end of the world. When the signs appear, the end is near. And so here's your assessment question. How sign savvy are you? When you hear of wars, when you hear of COVID-19, when you hear of rising sea levels and mass inflation, do you respond with confusion? You know, what's going on? Running around, you know, or, or, you know, just in complete distress in your mind. Or do you respond with confidence? I know what this is about. Jesus, you've already told me about this. This can only mean one thing. Judgment is on its way. You're coming soon. And friends, that means that we need to be right with God now. If you're here this morning and you have not looked to Christ as the only one who can save you from a coming judgment, a judgment even greater than that judgment that fell upon Jerusalem. You've already heard in this service of the forgiveness that comes through him. And so Jesus is not telling these things to you to to try to confuse you. He's trying to tell you this so that you can be certain that you are safe with him. How can you be safe with him? By turning away from your sins and laying a hold of him saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to make sense of, my rea- of, this, of the realities around me. I need you to properly interpret what's going on. I need you to forgive my sins. And all of this really leads us to a second point, which Jesus gives us this parable to make sense of the times, but he also gives us a posture to live in light of the times, in light of the end. You know, it's so interesting what Jesus doesn't focus on in this this conversation, isn't it? What do we not hear Jesus talking about? We don't hear him talking about the state of Israel. We don't hear him talking about a rapture. We don't hear him talking about the Antichrist. 
We don't hear him talking about a mark of the beast. You know, those are things that we can talk about that scriptures does engage with. But Jesus here wants us to see the most important things when it comes to end times discussion. And it's none of that. If, if you are finding yourself becoming fixated on those kinds of topics, you need to see, I, I think that there is something satanic at work with obsession with those, those side conversations. What do they often do? They distract us from the main thing, the posture, the present posture right now that Jesus wants you to have as you are living in these last days waiting for the end, waiting for him to return. And what does that posture look like? What does it look like to live with certainty that Christ is coming soon? Well, Jesus gives us several pictures of a proper posture in this passage. What does he say? Verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, okay, ready? Here's the posture. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Again, verse 36. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I remember when I was in school and my teachers would often say, stop slouching, get up, what are you doing? Why, why are you falling, falling over in your, your seat? You know, Wake up, what are you doing? We've got a test. Jesus is trying to fix our posture. He's trying to straighten our backs, get our shoulders up, heads up, ready for him to come. Okay, that's the proper posture. Now, notice two great dangers to that posture in this text. The first is dissipation. Dissipation. Now, what is that? Jesus says in verse 24, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Um, Dissipation and drunkenness have a lot to do with one another. Dissipation is that kind of excess. You know, you think of someone slamming drink after drink after drink. And that's, that's you know, that excess is dissipation. And what does it lead to? Well, drunkenness, a, um, a, a mind-numbing headache as the hangover sets in. Um, and that's the kind of picture that Jesus wants to warn us of. Um, he says it's a weight that keeps us from standing up in the proper posture, it's actually something that drags us down. Now, I do want you to realize that Jesus is talking first and foremost here about real drunkenness, literal drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18 warns of, of drunkenness. Warns of debauchery. And the reason why God warns, of, uh, warns us of this and says it is a sin is because of what drunkenness does to us, especially as we are called to live as end times kinds of people, people ready for Jesus. What, what does it do? What do too many drinks do? What do drugs do to us? They dull our senses. They numb our minds. They make things dizzy and fuzzy. Everything starts to blur and become confusing. And so when the officer walks up, shines a light in in the door of your, your car and says, did you see the three stop signs that you just blew through in the red light? You say, 
Honestly, officer, I didn't. I didn't see any of that. And he says, how much have you been drinking tonight? You know what happens when you, when you're, you, you throw yourself into drunkenness? You don't see the signs of the times. You don't see the wake-up calls that Jesus is, is giving. Instead, how do, you, uh, how do you respond to the kind of wake-up calls? Um, the, how do you respond to persecution and, and, you know, and, and pestilence and, and the things that stress us out? Well, you, you drink more. And Jesus warns you, says, you have to deal with this now. Seek help now. I want our church to be a church that helps deal with drunkenness and drugs, which are rampant in Dayton and which are blinding our, our, our community to, the, to the, the signs of the times. Not only our community, but our, our church. This is serious. We want to talk with you and help. But don't, don't miss that Jesus is not just talking about literal drunkenness here. He's also talking about spiritual drunkenness. Oftentimes in scripture, drunkenness um, and the hangovers that follow are a picture of what sin does to us. You know, sins can be like a spiritual narcotic, like a mind-numbing intoxication. You know, imagine, you know, you, you, hear, you hear that, you know, oh, COVID-19 cases are spiking again. How do you respond to that? I haven't heard that, by the way. But if if COVID-19 cases started spiking again, how do you respond? You respond by going to the drinks and start start slamming down drinks? Do you respond by turning to sins, to lust, to indulging the passions of the flesh? You know, sometimes sin can actually be like a mind-numbing intoxication just to get, off, get our minds off of the signs that are right in front of us. But those signs are supposed to wake us up and say, get ready, Jesus is coming. This is a warning. They are not meant to be responded to with sin. So Jesus says, dissipation is only going to drag you down. Well, so is distraction. So are the cares of life, as he mentions them here. What are the cares of life? Well, they're even more sinister than dissipation. The cares of life are all the good things in life that we ought to care about, but that we start to care about too much, right? Like what? Like, like our jobs, like our, like our career, um, climbing up the, the corporate ladder, our health, our families. What are the things that keep you tossing and turning at night, worried, caring, unable to sleep. You know, you, you identify what that is. What is it that keeps you up at night, doesn't let you sleep? Those things might just be an idol. They might just be, and very well may be, a priority that has become so enlarged that it's, it's out of place and needs recalibrated. It doesn't need totally dismissed, but it needs recalibrated. And that's what Jesus is really calling upon you to do this morning, to wake up and to be be on guard and to keep your shoulders up and to toss away every distraction that could cause you to slouch, forget about his coming. What Jesus is calling you to, friends, is this. 
to shed these weights and to pursue sober watchfulness, sober readiness. And the main way that you can do that, Jesus lists it right here. He says it's through prayer. Prayer. You know that the last prayer of the, of the Bible, the second to last verse of the Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty, is a prayer, and it's a prayer about the coming of Jesus. It simply says this, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, that's the kind of prayer that is watchful. That's the kind of prayer that is ready. And that's the kind of prayer that I'm really you know, challenging us as a church to take on. We ought to regularly, daily have that kind of prayer in our hearts. You know, when we, um, when we hear the, the ambulance going down the street and our mind says, you know, wow, that could be me tomorrow. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I need you to come. Um, I'm not afraid of dying, but, but this world is a mess. Come quickly. And that keeps us ready and that keeps us focused. Brothers and sisters, how is it that we can stand on that last day? How is it that we can, you know, when when the world starts shaking around us more than it ever has, how is it that we can still be found standing and not slouched over? Well, it's through this kind of watchfulness, and it's a watchfulness purchased by our Savior. You know, at the very end of our text, we hear of what he's doing, his kind of activity in the temple. But it mentions that at night he goes to the Mount of Olivet. And I think this is really pointing us to a precursor to what's about to happen. Because it's on that mountain in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to offer up his life for us on the cross. He's going to rise again from the dead and standing Two feet planted outside an empty tomb. tomb. It's, it's, it's with that that we can have the hope of standing on our two feet, shoulders up, eyes ready to receive the new creation on the last day. Friends, we're about to hear about that betrayal. We're going to take a break from the book of Luke for about a month. And while we're breaking from the book of Luke, I want you to, to meditate, to think about the kind of watchfulness that Jesus invites and calls you to. This is a good season to focus on watchfulness and on your prayers and include in your prayers this prayer of the, new, of the early Christians. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quick, come quickly. And when you come, may I be found standing safe in you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, give us the grace to be standing Eyes up, face a glow with your glory as you come in power. We pray all this in the name of the Savior who will come again. Amen.